0: Acts 19:18 through 20. I'll begin with verse eight. <clears throat> Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had an evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, and they ran out of the house naked and bleeding." When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way... The word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The word of the Lord. Now, upon reading this text, you probably had the same initial response that I did. Is there a text more tailor-made for Mother's Day than this one? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it drips with Mother's Day. It's saturated with Mother's Day. I mean, you've got, you've got these uh, uh, Jews who are meeting regularly in the synagogue. You've got uh, the townspeople of Ephesus who are coming to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. You've got all those in Asia who are hearing the word of the Lord. You've got uh, those who are being healed by aprons and, and handkerchiefs and the seven sons of Sceva. I mean, they all had mothers. That's about the only connection I can make between this text. And Mother's Day. More likely, you, are, you look at this a text like this, and, and and sometimes you just have to remark that it can get a little weird in the Bible. Sometimes it can get a little strange. I was talking with Jennifer Bowl, and we were discussing. Uh, the sermon and trying to think about the music and, how it, uh, and the message, it, I told her that my first three initial takeaways was we needed to have more holy relics, more book burnings, and leave people a little creeped out that demons might know their name, right? That seemed to be the, the major takeaways. Well, I'd like us to consider as we work through this passage— that it it falls into three episodes. There's a sort of a summary statement of what is going on in Ephesus. There is a um, look into some miraculous occurrences that are happening. And then there is this um, botched exorcism. And in each of these three, we find a cause and effect. We find a stimulus and a response. We find something occurring and a result from that occurrence. And in each of these three, the result is the same. A phrase I I want us to keep in mind as we work through this passage, the result I want us to hold in our minds is this, behold the power of the Lord. As we look through each of these, behold the power of the Lord. So we, we start here with verse 8 through 10. And, and what, what we get here is kind of a, a summary, a 20,000 feet view, if you will, of what was occurring when Paul was in Ephesus. And, and verse 8 tells us that Paul begins, as he so routinely does by going to a synagogue. Luke tells us that Paul spoke boldly there for three months. For three months, he was welcomed and invited to argue and to preach and to proclaim about the kingdom of God. Now, at a synagogue, if you were invited to, uh, to speak, the way that that would occur is you would give comment from a particular text. That the scriptures would be read, what we refer to as the Old Testament, would be read, a passage, and then you would be invited to comment from it. We, we have here then Paul for three months Three months he is coming and allowed to comment on a particular text, whatever text might have been on the schedule, on the calendar. And and Luke tells us that when Paul commented, when he argued, when he spoke, when he preached, he always preached about the kingdom of God. Whatever text was being presented, Paul would speak about the kingdom of God. Now this phrasing kingdom of god this goes back to jesus himself when when jesus would speak about his coming about his arrival about his teaching about his deeds about his miracles about his cross and about his resurrection he would speak of it in terms of the kingdom of god had come near To speak of the kingdom of God then is to speak of God's sovereign rule, now perfectly expressed and manifest in the arrival of Christ. That's what it meant. It was to, to speak of the kingdom of God was to talk about the great plan of God having been anticipated in the Scriptures now being fully and perfectly expressed. In Christ. So this was why it was always right and always correct for Paul to begin in the synagogues. Because it is the scriptures, it is the Old Testament that spoke to the arrival of Christ. And, and, and looking at the Old Testament, is, it is the story of Adam that anticipated the second Adam. It is the story of creation that spoke to the coming of new creation. It is the story of the fall that looked forward towards the one who would not only address the symptoms of the fall, but cancel its cause. To, To speak of the kingdom of God is to speak of the promises given to Abraham and how they are fulfilled in Christ, to, to speak of the kingdom of God was to speak of Moses and to speak of the Israelites coming out of slavery, coming out of Egypt as it pointed towards and looked forward to Christ who would set the captives free and bring us out of bondage. The, the, Moses and the story in the wilderness uh, conveyed to what it meant for a holy God to be in covenant with a holy people only possible in Christ. To, to speak of the kingdom of God was to look at Joshua and the victory of God as it pointed to the victory of the cross. It was, to, it was to look at the kings and the promises given to David that there would be a king, a Messiah that would reign forever and to see that realized in Christ. It was to speak of the prophets And the exile, it was to look forward to that moment when the exile would be fully ended, when those would be brought back into the presence of God and how the exile comes to its end truly in Christ. It was to speak of how the prophets would look forward to that age when the Holy Spirit would be present, when Christ would come. This is why it was right for Paul to go to the synagogues. This is why it is right for us to read the totality of the Scripture because it tells one great story, the story of God and his people, the story of God reconciling those to him in Christ. Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joshua and and the judges and David and Solomon and the kings and the prophets, all of them, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Haggai, Malachi, Micah, Daniel, they all have meaning because they point to Jesus. And for three months, Paul was able to say this. For three months, he was allowed to speak about how Christ gives full voice to that which God had been speaking in the scriptures. After three months, some of them became obstinate, refused To believe and publicly malign the way. When I look at that verse, I see the power of the Lord. I see it in the word, some. Some of them became obstinate and refused to believe. Not all of them became obstinate and refused to believe. Some refused to believe, but some did not. In fact, Luke tells us that as this insulting and maligning of the way, which is a way referring to Christianity and following Christ, says, Paul left them, and notice, and he took the disciples with him. He took the disciples with him. This means that when Paul left the synagogue, he did not leave it alone. But joining him were some who believed. I think about these some, these disciples that went with Paul. That could not have been easy. It must have been extremely difficult in many ways. Paul has come and he's entered this synagogue. And, and this synagogue would have been a, a home for so many people families, Jewish families in Ephesus would have been knit together in this synagogue. They would have celebrated births as we did, mourned at the loss of loved ones, endured being different from the rest of the pagan world in Ephesus. In this synagogue, there would have been strength in the bonds that were there. To leave that must have been extremely difficult to to say, Yes, this this is my kin. This, uh, this is my my father, my mother, my brother, my sister. This is what I've grown up to, to say. I'm leaving. Paul, If Paul is going to be no longer allowed to speak here, if Christ is no longer to going to be allowed to be proclaimed here, well, I belong to him now. I believe I belong to Christ. And if the cost of that means I can no longer gather with you at this synagogue, then that's the cost. And that had to be painful. Many of you know intimately what that is like to have to make a decision that causes a separation between you and loved ones. How is it possible for that to happen? Behold the power of the Lord. It is the Lord who calls us out And brings us to him. And it is the Lord who sustains us. It is the Lord who shows us that we belong to a different family. A different people. A people united not by being Jew or Greek. But by following the way. So I see the power of the Lord here when I see the word some. Some that did not refuse to believe. Doesn't end there after these three months. Luke tells us that after Paul had been uh, insulted and the way maligned and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And that this went on for two years. Now, understand what the lecture hall of Tyrannus here refers to... um, most likely a space, a a guild hall, if you will, that belonged to Tyrannus in terms of Tyrannus was the main attraction. He was the orator. This likely isn't the, the language of ownership or patronage, but most likely when we heard the lecture hall of Tyrannus, it was a way of saying that was his space and people came to see him. And so what we have here taking place is Tyrannus, this must have been a known orator for Luke to reference his name. Tyrannus allowing Paul to use his space every day for two years. Tyrannus was most likely not a follower of Christ. Luke is very careful, both in his gospel and in Acts, to identify followers of Christ. The fact that we do not get a reference here of Tyrannus being a a believer or a follower of Christ most likely means he was not. And yet, he was allowing his space, if you will, to be used by Paul every day for two years. Behold the power of the Lord. This this reference reminds me of of the truth that every inch of this planet belongs to God. There is no space so unreached, so desolate, so contrary to God, that he cannot use it if he wants there is no space so protected by legal contract or chain of custody that can't be used by God if He wants it. Every inch belongs to Him. And for two years, not one moment, not an evening invite, not a diversity week where we hear from different views. Every day for two years, Paul preached. And the result, Luke tells us, was that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That is not common phrasing for Luke. Luke doesn't say that anywhere else. He doesn't use the phrase, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia. He doesn't say, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Galatia or Macedonia or Achaia. That's not stock phrasing for him. So this means something remarkable was happening here. That in Paul coming every day to this pagan lecture hall, The result was that the word of the Lord, the gospel, the proclamation of the kingdom of God, was going out to the entire province of Asia. We we usually think of Paul as going places. Going from this city to this city to that city. Here we see Paul staying. God is in control of our comings and our goings and in our stayings. It was the Lord's will for Paul to stay there for two, almost three years. When when we think of Paul's missionary journeys, we often think of three journeys, We'll use that language often enough because Luke traces like starting points, points, starting points back to finish points, starting points back to finish points, starting points back to finish points. We can be misled by that to thinking that Paul had some great plan that was organized in the details at its outset. We can be we can sometimes look at that sort of organization and think that Paul had before him this idea he was going to stay in a certain city for a certain amount of time and then move to another city for another amount of time and so forth and so forth. And, and generally speaking, it would take X number of months to establish a church, X number of months to find elders and then move on. And they would send a lead team ahead of them who would prepare the next place. Scripture tells us something completely different. Not that there wasn't forethought, not that there wasn't planning, but what drove when Paul went or when Paul stayed was what the Lord was doing and how the Holy Spirit was directing. We can become so involved in in debating processes. And usually as a church, when we debate a process, one side will say faith, the other side will say wisdom. Wisdom as if faith and wisdom are on two opposite sides. Usually, unfortunately, what can happen in that manifestation, in that debate, is those who are saying faith are really almost a form of over-spiritualized venture capitalists, and those who are saying wisdom are usually very frugal and, and concerned about being able to do something before it even begins. Faith is to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom is to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit in our comings, in our goings, and in our stayings. One could argue that these two to three years was one of the most eventful to years plus of the early church. During this time, Luke tells us that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. We know during this time that this was when the church at Colossia was established, Heriopolis was established, Laodicea was established, Paul tells us so in his letters. In fact, when Paul writes the First Corinthians referring to this, uh, writes in 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth referring about this time, he says in chapter 16, a great door for the effective work has been opened for me. It was during this time that that many suggest that the seven churches of Revelation, you know that that's sort of in modern day Turkey. Were started. It was during this time that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. It's, it's possible that he wrote Galatians at this time as well, and maybe even Philippians. It was during this time that the, the church was growing and spreading because Paul was staying and proclaiming. For two years every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Behold the power of the Lord. We move into now the second episode with verse 11. If if, if 8 through 10 sort of gives us a summary view of what was occurring. Verse 11 and 12 gives us a, a, a unique insight to miraculous occurrence. Luke says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. What? <laughs> handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul were taken to the sick. Illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Might be one of the strangest verses I have ever read in the New Testament. I, I look at this, and I, and, and, and I think, this sounds like relics. Like, this sounds like what people do when they take... These pilgrimages to get in front of a piece of wood or a piece of cloth or a piece of bone. And, and my, 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 my Baptist proclivities just has a little bit of difficulty with this. And when I think about this scene, here, here's what I picture. I picture there's Paul right, doing some tent making work. I don't know if this is what tent making work looks like, but let's just assume, assume it is. And he's doing some tent making work. He's getting sweaty. He's getting hot. Grabs his handkerchief. He he wipes his his brow. He tosses it, and then like a like a record breaking home run ball that gets hit into the stands. And you have grown men throwing down toddlers as they jump for it. I see this crowd of people just like ah, I got the handkerchief ah, she can walk right. You know, I mean, I this like crazy scene. What in the world is going on here? Handkerchiefs and apron strings that touched his skin are being taken, and demons are coming out. Well, I think there's two very important elements we need to keep in mind as we consider this passage. One is how Luke describes these miracles. He calls them extraordinary. Now, Luke in his gospel and in his acts does not use adjectives to describe miracles. He simply states them. He doesn't qualify them in any way except here. Here he describes miracles as extraordinary. In other words, Miracles, this class, this group of things, which are by definition out of the ordinary. He says of this group of things that are not normal, of this class of actions, this particular group in this class is even more extraordinary. In other words, Luke takes a moment to say, listen, I get it, this is even odd for miracles. That's a little bit of comfort. Right? And I think, that, I think that prevents us from all of a sudden jumping into some sort of relic-seeking, trinket-seeking behavior. It's not the only time things like this have happened. Uh, people were trying to grab at Jesus' tassels as he walked by. Peter's shadow would cross over someone and they would be healed. But even more, Luke says something very, very important here. He introduces this amazing occurrence that was happening with handkerchiefs and aprons. Look what he says in verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. It wasn't that Paul somehow possessed a unique power that he could transfer onto his aprons that would then heal the sick. God was doing extraordinary miracles through Paul. When I, when, I, when I was asking the question of why, why would God do these extraordinary miracles through Paul? Why was it Paul's handkerchiefs? Why was it Paul's aprons? Well, if I am understanding the text correctly, it's because every day Paul was in the lecture hall of Tyrannus speaking the gospel, And in doing extraordinary miracles through Paul, such like this, that this would inevitably draw people to hear him. That's the, that's, the, that's the scene, that's the summary of verse 10, right? That all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of the Asia heard the word of the Lord. And one of the ways that God was drawing people to hear the word of the Lord was by doing amazing things through Paul. God was doing amazing things. Behold the power of the Lord. And if I understand verse 11 correctly, if this is the power of the Lord that is at work, that also means the effect that Paul's preaching was having. So that some out of the synagogue came out. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province heard the word of the Lord. So that these churches were being established. If I'm understanding verse 11 correctly that God was the one doing the miracles, then I need to understand that it was God who was at work in Paul's preaching and proclaiming. It wasn't Paul's rhetorical cleverness that was establishing churches and saving sinners. Don't misunderstand me. This doesn't mean that Paul wasn't very deliberate in his study. This doesn't mean that Paul wasn't very intentional in the words that he used but it was that the power both in his study and in his words his ability to preach the power of what he was saying was not him it was God who was doing this many of you know this you know this very intimately you have been a part of something where God has worked You have been involved and engaged and you have served and you have been there and and God has moved and you know very acutely you didn't do anything. God did it. You know what I'm talking about. Those of you who have seen God at work, whether it be in the lives of your children, your neighbors, your family, your community, the world, your own heart, you know you didn't do anything. God did it. When I was a freshman in college, fresh out of youth group boot camp, I entered into college, and my college roommate, David, was not a believer, was not a Christian, didn't go to church, didn't grow up going to church. None of his parents or family members followed Christ. So I, with all of my thoughts and considerations, First week of school, decide I'm going to talk about Jesus to my roommate. The response couldn't have been worse. Immediate shutdown. Don't speak about that. I'm not interested in that. Stop it. So, with my Christian courage that could fit probably in a thimble with room for cream. I did nothing else. Did nothing. Said nothing. Never brought it up. Not because I was prayerfully seeking and discerning the right time to do it. It's because I didn't want that moment again. That's what I didn't want. I didn't want that to happen. We, we stayed roommates. Sophomore year, junior year, senior year, I didn't say a word. Now, I went to things. I went to FCA. I was involved in church, did not invite them. I didn't want that to happen again. We had a nice equilibrium in our relationship, and I felt fine keeping it that way. And towards my senior year, a mutual friend of ours, her name was Tammy, she comes up to me and says, hey, did you know David's been asking some things about Christ and Christianity? No, I did not know that. (laughs) Um, She says, yeah, you should talk to him. Okay, so seeing maybe this was safer at this moment, so I go up to David and I say, hey, you want to talk about Christ? And he did, right? He, he did want to talk. And so I begin to try to fumble and, and walk my through sharing the gospel, and I'm pretty sure it was not going well. At some point to this friend of mine who had never been to church, who had never read the Bible, who had never heard any of the churchy words, I say to him, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life can be saved. <laughs> what? I mean, I'm talking about some ruminant, woolen inspired book of destiny to this, to this guy, and he has no idea what I'm talking about. I, think, I remember he asked me, Where is this book? In heaven? <laughs> That's all I, could, I don't know. At some point, I had the wisdom to tell him to read the Bible. I suggested Romans, but I'm not. I'm not sure that was even a, a good suggestion to suggest Romans to someone who has no idea of anything. About a week passed. I went back to David and I said, "Hey, have you been, have you been reading?" He said, yeah, I have. I said, well, what have you been reading? He said, well, he goes, I was reading through Romans, and I got to that point where it said, if God is for us, who can be against us? He says, I got to that point where it said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I wanted that. So I asked him if he wants to pray. Right? I had been trained in how to walk someone through a good you know, prayer, walk him through repentance and confession and acceptance of Christ. And so I, so I said, will, will you pray with me and I'll say the words and if, if, you, if you believe them, repeat them. So we did that. And prayer ended and I looked at David and what I expected to see was Halos, sunbeam, perhaps the faint sound of angels singing. What I saw was a grieved face, a face that had guilt written on it. And David says to me, you know, i got to tell you something. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Like, I've heard about this. You know, when someone becomes a Christian and then they immediately unload everything they've done on you. And I'm like, I'm not ready for that awkward moment. He says, you know, I really, really wanted, I wanted to wait and pray with you. But when I read, if God is for us, who can be against us, I couldn't wait any longer. He says, I prayed right then. He goes, I'm sorry. <laughs> so quick summary. Freshman year, tried something, didn't work stayed silent for three years till somebody else told me they were having a conversation, to which then I entered into the conversation. It went horribly, pointed them to Scripture. They read Scripture. I go to pray with them, thinking I'm leading them through this prayer, of which they themselves have already prayed upon reading the Scripture. And to this day, when I talk to David, you know what he says to me? Thank you. What? I didn't do anything. Behold, the power of the Lord. You know whether it is apron strings or handkerchiefs, whether it's chance encounters and conversations, whether it's questions and curiosities, whether it's small meetings or church gatherings. We are his instruments, but he is the great musician. We are his instruments, but it is him that plays the song. We are his instruments, but it is he who makes us dance. And in this world where there is nothing but noise, a cacophony of painful sounds, where a world that is full of loneliness, of brokenness, structural sin, of racism and greed, where violence is more normal, than not, where power is something to be grasped only so it can be abused, into this tumult, God plays on his instruments—a beautiful, alluring melody that brings us into harmony with Him. Behold the power of the Lord. You see, and I think this is what these seven sons of Sceva got so wrong. These seven sons of Sceva completely missed. So there was this group who was going around and who were doing exorcisms. And, and they would have, of course, heard, as everyone in the province had heard about what was happening with Paul. They would have heard this. They would have seen How at the name of Jesus, demons were coming out. The captives were being freed. And they would have been like, I want that. That incantation's great. I want to put that in my arsenal. Now the event must have been a complete surprise of what actually occurred. It must have taken them 100% off guard. You maybe had such a similar experience. You go into a scene, you go into a place, a setting you you say something, you do something and the immediate response couldn't have been more scary if you could have imagined it. I had a similar experience. Kim was pregnant with our oldest Avery. I was in seminary at the time. I was going on studying full time and I was, and, uh, was working full-time, and I was, uh, well, I'm trying to justify my actions here a little bit, I should be, be honest with what I'm trying to do. Kim was going to graduate school herself full-time, was working full-time, was doing an internship as well, and was pregnant. So I was probably can't really justify my actions. I come home, we had had this agreement, we were living in a little duplex in Hingham, we had had this sort of arrangement. where There was no dishwasher. So if you ate something, do the dishes. I come home. It's late. From school, from work. I walk in. I see on the counter Kim's dishes. To which I said, a veteran of marriage now. I've been married about eight years at this point. To which I said, would it kill you? to do some dishes around here. And my wife, my beautiful, pregnant wife, the picture of Mother's Day, if you will, transforms (laughs) my very eyes to something I was very afraid of. And, 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 to my question of "Would it kill you to do some dishes around here?", came "Would it kill you to have a bowling ball on your uterus? Would it kill you to be swollen all the time? Would it kill you to throw up on the tea because someone has a tuna fish sandwich next to you? Would it kill you to be constantly itching? Would it? I mean, at some point I blacked out to this litany of "Would it kill you?". I am so thankful that I was not beaten and stripped naked and kicked out of the house. (laughs) So these these sons of Sceva, they go into this with this great plan. Like they have this idea, we're just going to use this incantation. And what they found was they had no power. They were overpowered. It wasn't Christ who was shamed. They were shamed. Because the power of the Lord is not a mere trinket. The power of the Lord isn't something for us to draw upon for our purposes. The power of the Lord is directed as he wills for his purpose. We, we don't go to the Lord in prayer because we want to direct him. Not our will, but yours be done is the prayer of a follower of Christ. We don't read scripture as a way of manipulating him or putting God in a box. We don't test the Lord like the Israelites did in the wilderness. Your will on earth be done as it is in heaven. We are the instruments of the great musician. So the seven sons of Sceva are beaten and shamed. And then look what happens. And when this became known, verse 17, to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. Note, not at the man who was possessed, who had done the beating. They were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor what was evident was the power of the lord in that moment not the power of the demon the power of the lord was evident in that moment you didn't trifle with christ in fact many of those who believe now came and openly confessed they openly confessed that they had put the holy spirit and christ in the same category as magic and sorcery And they burned their scrolls, a total that came to 50,000 drachmas, which is probably at best estimate you take a year's worth of earnings and times it by 137. That's the value of what was burned. And in verse 20, In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Notice with... Each of these, whether it was in the synagogue, the lecture hall, the miracles of the aprons and the handkerchiefs, or the botched exorcism, whatever was, the same result occurred. The word of the Lord spread. God's will, his power is turned towards this one thing, which is the spread of his gospel, which is the good news going forth, which is the calling of all of those who have been lost to be found. you know today today, and I'll, I'll finish with this today there are those of us sitting here and, and, and you are being drawn you you know that you know you're not walking with Christ. You know that you have not believed, but you're feeling drawn and that this is happening not only here, but it's happening all over the globe. You're being drawn. You're being compelled. Behold the power of the Lord. You're, you're, you're here, and maybe you're, you're thinking about, have you been walking faithfully with Christ? Behold the power of the Lord that we are able to gather here as those gathered in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, that, that the church is able to gather, that it still does gather. Behold the power of the Lord. His will is firmly pressed towards this purpose. Last Sunday, Jeremy asked us, to consider those areas in our faith that were misaligned. You remember he had us put on a list. I've been thinking about what I put on my list. I've been feeling the rebuke of what I put on my list. Behold the power of the Lord. He asked us to consider those brothers and sisters who we could go to, who we could lean on in this. And as names came to my mind and as names came to your mind, behold the power of the Lord. It doesn't... Matter where the instrument is played. The reason it is played is always the same. He wants us to dance to his music. As I uh, finish up here, I was thinking about how God forgives, restores, comforts, upholds, welcomes. I know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. or as my roommate, friend, brother in Christ, David, said, if he is for us, who can be against us? Let us pray. Father, today is a good day. Today is the day that you have made. Today is a day wherein your will, you are pleased for your word to continue to go out. Lord, today is a day where those who are enemies of yours are receiving the gospel and becoming your children. Lord, today is a good day. Lord, today is a day when you are pleased to continue to refine your people. You continue to show us who you are. You continue to grow our faith. You continue to grow our love in you. Lord, you continue to teach us what it means to be yours. Today is a good day. Lord, today is a good day where you are pleased for your church to edify each other, that we come together to strengthen one another and to love in one another, that you work through us to strengthen And to uphold. Lord you preserve us. Today is a good day. Lord today is a good day. For it brings us one day closer. To that great day. To that day. When you will come again. In your glory. When we will all behold. The power of the Lord. Lord let that day be today. How long Lord. How long must we wait. Let that day be today. Lord, today is a good day. It is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It is in your name, the name of Jesus the powerful Lord, we pray, amen.